everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rivals is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey everyone, welcome to Rivals. This is a show about music rivalries and beefs and feuds and long-simmering tensions between pop musicians. And spite and vile. I'm Steve. I'm Jordan. How are you? I'm great, man. I am excited about the rivalry we're going to talk about in this episode. Um... We have two bands that I think sound a lot alike. Uh, if you don't follow contemporary rock music, I think you would actually have a hard time telling these bands apart. I mean, don't you think? Oh, yeah. I think they're more similar than dissimilar. Yeah, they're kind of like so far around the circle that they're almost next to each other, you know? It's one of those kind of things. And yet it's one of those situations where one of the bands in this scenario, I think would argue that there's a world of difference between these two groups. And that has created a lot of bad blood between these acts. Of course, I'm talking about Imagine Dragons in the 1975. I'm curious, are you a fan of these bands? I am a a casual fan of the 1975, and I'm embarrassed to say I am very much not a fan of Imagine Dragons. I'm embarrassed because I feel like that is just the commonly held belief with at least most of the people that I know. And I say it in a, in a yeah. way that's not performative, that's not learned. I actually just violently dislike uh, a great many of their songs. And, uh, and you know, I have some, I, uh, a friend of mine's eight-year-old, his favorite song is Thunder. So, you know, I can't really knock it if it gets a kid in the music, but I just, I, uh, not for me. I'm not going to say how I feel quite yet. I will say this, that uh, there is one band that I thought I hated and another band that I thought I loved. And yet, after researching this episode, I came to find that the band that I thought I hated, I actually, I think I like them a little bit more now. Whereas the band that I thought I loved, I think I like like them a little less. So maybe I'm starting to feel the same way about these bands. But I just took different ways to get there. Uh, My God, that, is that a, makes any sense. That is an M. Night Shyamalan twist right there. No, it is. <laughs> exactly. It is. It's very, it's very spooky. You know, I'm just setting the scene there. 
Well, let's get into this mess. Let's first talk about Imagine Dragons. Now, we all know who Imagine Dragons are. We think we know who they are. They're one of the biggest pop rock bands in the world. They got their start in 2012. That's when they first came on the scene. They're a band from Las Vegas. Their debut album is called Night Visions. And the song that really sends this album into the stratosphere is called Radioactive. Now, if you think you don't know the song Radioactive, I'll give you a hint that this is the song where the guy says radioactive, I think about a million times in the course of four minutes. Am I exaggerating? And I think he says, I think he says, whoa, maybe, maybe 5 million also, if that, that might narrow it down too. So it's whoa and radioactive a million times each. Yeah, you kind of got it, yeah. But we know that in pop music, repetition sells, and it really sells this song. This becomes one of those songs that, even if you don't follow rock music or pop music, you don't listen to the radio, you're, you're living in a cave by yourself. This is still a song that you probably know by heart because it's in movie trailers, it's in gas stations, they play it during NBA games. They probably found a way to like pipe it into your brain as you're sleeping. It's just one of those ubiquitous songs that you can't get away from. And it really is like one of the biggest rock songs of the decade, of, of the 2010s. I mean, I think that's fair to say, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, now at this point, it's almost like a Pavlovian thing where it's like, okay, we need someone to feel excited. We're going to play this song. And like you said, <laughs> any trailer, any ad, it's just, it's there. It, it's an instant, immediate, you're going to feel pumped up kind of kind of jam in a, in a very socially acceptable kind of way. Now, with the song Radioactive, it really sort of sets the template for the Imagine Dragon sound. And that sound, <laughs> you know, it is an important part of, of pop music and rock music in the 2010s. Ends up being very influential uh, because it's not a pure rock sound. It, it's integrating elements of pop and hip hop. You don't really hear guitars. You don't really even hear guitar riffs or anything like that. It, it's a hybrid of different kinds of music that traditionalists would say isn't rock music at all. And maybe it isn't. I don't know what it is, but it ends up being absurdly popular. And it has a lot to do with them working with this producer named Alex DeKid, whose big hit before Radioactive and all the Night Vision hits was a song called Love the Way You Lie, which was a big hit for Eminem and Rihanna. And like that song, you know, Imagine Dragon songs are big, bombastic, melodramatic, somewhat plodding and maybe a little boring, but I guess people seem to love it. <laughs> so Imagine Dragons becomes this huge band. Skip ahead to 2017. They put out their third record, Evolve, and it has a bunch of other hits, including the song Thunder that you said that what was that your nephew likes? Uh, a friend of mine's eight-year-old son, but it is it is an absolutely massive song. I mean, they had a huge year that year. I think that the Billboard 2018 year-end rock charts had four of their songs. Like you know, of every rock artist in the world, forty percent of the top ten of that year were this one band. It is it is unreal. And the thing that's kind of crazy to remember is, especially now looking back at seeing all the negative reviews that they've received in the last few years is that when they first came on the scene, correct me if I'm wrong, they were relatively, they were praised. They were lauded for kind of sort of, I mean, I think, I I think that window was fairly short with them just because radioactive became such a big song right away. And, you know, by the end of the decade, 
Imagine Dragons was putting up numbers that really, you know, few other rock bands were even approaching. I mean, they had 35 million singles sold, 20 million albums sold. In 2018, they were the most streamed group on Spotify. Your eight-year-old friend likes it. And is it okay that we make fun of your eight-year-old friend for liking Imagine Dragons? Is that socially acceptable? So the, well, or, I mean, it's either that or that uh, Imagine Dragon fans are all eight-year-olds. I mean, it's, it goes either way. <laughs> either way. You know, the simplicity, it, it works for eight-year-olds out there. Um, so they're this enormous band. But as you can already tell, you know, Jordan and I are already making fun of Imagine Dragons. With this great popularity, with all the hits that they've had, comes a lot of mockery. You know, it, it seems like there's always one, that one band that is an easy target for people to make fun of. Like, for years, it was Nickelback. But in the last couple of years, I think it really became Imagine Dragons, this band that is so ubiquitous, so just being rammed down everyone's throat that as a release, people want to make fun of this band, you know, and maybe make and fun of them of, without giving them a chance. Exactly. In a lot of cases like that, overwhelming success just brings so much scrutiny and having people wonder, well, are they deserving of this? And then that breeds contempt and then finally mockery. But so exactly what you said, a lot of people aren't even giving them a chance. But in this case, I'll make an exception and say that the mockery is earned. No, I'm, I'll, I'll save that for the end. <laughs> I have to say that I always resented uh, Imagine Dragons because they have such a cool-sounding name, and the music itself seems kind of milquetoast. Like, I always thought, like, if Ronnie James Dio was still alive, that he should have had a band called Imagine Dragons. <laughs> you know, like, Imagine Dragons should have had, like, you know... Guys with swords on the cover and, you know, slitting the throats oh, yeah. of dragons and all that stuff. It should have been something like, like sword and sorcery and, and, and like Game of Thrones type stuff. It shouldn't have been songs about how you feel radioactive. Uh, so there's some resentment there that this should have been like a kick-ass metal band, not like a safe mainstream pop group. Oh, no. I, I mean, if, if anything, I would have thought maybe like a, at least a prog rock band or something. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, and something I didn't know until very recently that, you know how they got their big break? No, how's that? They, uh, Pat Monahan from Train was sick. And so uh, Train had to back out of a festival and they got uh, imagine, a very, very young Imagine Dragons in, I think, 2009, a Las Vegas festival. And that got them some major exposure from, I think it was Interscope. So that was their big break. They, they, uh, the, the torch from Train, Hey Soul Sister Train. The music industry was like, we need a lamer band than Train. Right. Who can we find? Yeah, train train is sick. We need <laughs> we need a lamer band than Train. You know, oh, Imagine Dragons is here. Yes, this is exactly right. what we're looking for. Now, again, we're making fun of this band. They're just doing their thing. They're not doing anything wrong, and yet we're taking shots at them because it's such an easy thing to do. We're two lazy music critic type people just taking shots at this band. But, you know, that's what they've been established as in the 2010s as being this sort of easy target band. So that's Imagine Dragons over here. Let's talk about the 1975. I think that the thing that, that aside from people who just actually don't like the sound, I think that there's a certain sense of, 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 of people think it's almost disingenuous because it is such an amalgamation of all these different genres. And you'd think, oh, wow, cool. They're, they're really fusing a whole new blend of sounds. That's something really interesting and innovative and new and cool. We should really give this a chance. It feels disingenuous because I feel like a lot of people feel that it's just trying to game the music industry now, getting on a v- bunch of Spotify genre playlists, which is how artists get a huge amount of streams, which is obviously how they earn, well, 
not a lot of income because nobody's earning income from music specifically these days. But but that multiple billboard charts, multiple uh, even multiple Grammys, uh, Grammy categories. It it feels like sort of an opportunistic way of making music. And that's how it comes across. I'm not saying that that's their intent, but that is, I think, a, a reaction that people have had. It's funny that you make this argument against Imagine Dragons because for the 1975, this very thing that you're talking about, this amalgamation of different genres, this mixing and matching, this sort of disregard for how we used to listen to music and we're going to combine everything into one pot, it's something that people seem to like about the other band in this equation, the 1975. So let's talk about them. You know, we, we've got the easily mockable band on one side. Let's talk about the 1975. This is a band that forms in 2002. They're a British band. And they form when all the band members are teenagers. And when they're in school, they start out as an emo band. And they're not a very fashionable band. They don't have a lot of fans. Uh, Maddie Healy, the band singer, recalled in a spin interview that they were super nerds back then. But the people who do like this band like them passionately. And it sustains them for a while during these lean years, like when they're not really getting anything going uh, career-wise. Getting into the 2010s, they have enough of a following that they get a record deal and they start putting out a series of EPs which sets up the release of their self-titled 2013 debut. And this is a record that actually does end up taking off, especially in England, but also here in America in sort of a culty way. And then it begins to build as the decade unfolds. Now, again, going back to the timeline with Imagine Dragons, this is around the time that Imagine Dragons gets started. And like Imagine Dragons, the 1975 are this band that looks like a rock band, but they don't necessarily always sound like a rock band. They're, they're playing with R&B music. They're playing with electronic music. They're kind of going all over the board. They're, they don't feel like they have to adhere to just a strict guitar-centric sound. And while this gains them a lot of fans, it also hurts their credibility somewhat. A lot of people look at them as a boy band, you know, this sort of prefabricated group. And a lot of that has to do with also who was talking about them early on. You know, Taylor Swift was a fan early on. So were the the guys in One Direction. And that helped them build a following. But for music critics, sort of self-serious arbiters of quality in music, they didn't really take this band seriously. Again, much in the same way uh, that they don't take Imagine Dragons seriously. The difference, however, is that with 1975, it gradually starts to turn. In 2016, they put out a record which has an absurdly long title. Do you know the title of this record? I do. It's like Fiona Apple level uh, long and winding it. I, I like it when you sleep, for you are so beautiful yet so unaware of it. Yes, a title that depending on your disposition, is either (laughs) beautiful in its poetic sort of, you know, reaching for the skies, reaching for profundity type way, or it's just screamingly pretentious and it instantly sets your teeth on edge. Uh, Which, well, I have to say that for me, that that was part of the appeal (laughs) of this band, like early on. Like, I was a defender of this band when they didn't have a ton of critical cachet because, you know... I remember when that second record came out, they were on SNL and Maddie Healy was like strutting around in leather pants and didn't have a shirt on. Like, did you see that performance? It's like pretty I, I classic. Did. 
Uh, I mean, because I know like a lot of people hated it. They were like, "This is the most obnoxious band in the world." Like, I was kind of getting off on like how obnoxious it was. Yeah, it felt intentional. I mean, even the title, like you said, I mean, not only just for for length reasons, but also I. It's my understanding that he wrote that in a love note to some supermodel he was dating at the time, Maddie Healy. Um, <laughs> love which it. Is, which kind of just adds a whole nother level to it. We're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor before we get to more Rivals. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this record comes out, the second record, with the enormously long title based on a love note to a supermodel. And some critics like it, some critics hate it. But there's this groundswell building. And, you know, here in America, they become more of a mainstream rock band. And among critics, they kind of gradually become a, a critical favorite. So when you get to 2018 and they put out their third record, which is called A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships, which is another title where you're like, this might be genius, this might be totally obnoxious. I don't know, where, like, where do you fall on that album title? Uh, it's like I could go either way, I think, depending on my mood. 
uh, with that yeah, album. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't press the crazy album title button too many times until <laughs> I, I start to, you know, I mean, it's, all right, you get, you get maybe two. Right. Yeah, and even, then, even Fiona Apple on her third record was like, extraordinary <laughs> machine. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Two words, great. Yep. Bingo, bango. But this <laughs> is the record that really makes them like one of the most critically acclaimed bands around. Uh, the song Love It If We Made It, which is the big song from that record. It was named the best song of 2018 by Pitchfork, who called it a generational anthem. Uh, you know what song Pitchfork didn't call a generational anthem? Radioactive. That song did not get any love <laughs> from Pitchfork, I assure you. So we can already see a very interesting contrast here. You know, on one hand, you have a pop-friendly rock band named Imagine Dragons that critics either ignore or make fun of just out of habit. And on the other hand, you have a pop-friendly rock band named the 1975 that critics used to make fun of and then came to regard as like the second coming and, and the maker of generational anthems. Uh, so it seems like fertile ground for a conflict to me. It really is confusing to me how that change occurred. I mean, I, because listening to I Like It When You Sleep, I mean, it, it, to me, it sounded like at least most of the songs, like NXS produced by Nile Rodgers or something. I mean, it seemed in a lot of ways just as, I mean, and I liked it. I mean, objectively, I liked that music better than I did Imagine Dragons. But it, in a lot of ways, it seemed just as, I don't want to say derivative, but I'm going to say derivative as Magic Dragons. But still, you're absolutely right. Uh, generational Anthem Pitchfork, can't argue with that. It seems like the same criticisms, or at least a lot of the same criticisms you could make about Imagine Dragons, you could also make about the 1975. Whereas if you really like the 1975 and you think they're great, it seems like a lot of the things that you would love about the 1975, you could also maybe love about Imagine Dragons. And yet there's this, all this other stuff around those two groups that somehow makes them seem more like opposites than maybe they really are. And some of that baggage came from the bands themselves. Like, And when did the trash talking start? Because it definitely came from the 1975 first with these two bands. It was 1975 first. It was a 2017 interview in Q Magazine that Matty Healy gave. And he basically accused the Imagine Dragons of having songs that were nothingness. He said, songs like Radioactive by Imagine Dragons, it might as well be called Pikachu Banana, <laughs> which is arguably a better title than I like it when you sleep. Um, that it's is nothingness, funny. he continued. Uh, There's no space for nothingness anymore, and pop music has so much space for it. I'm not saying I'm John Lennon or Jarvis Cocker from Pulp, uh, but I will say there's parts of our record, which has been a massive rain mainstream record, that have resonated with people for the right reasons, and that won't be taken away from me. So and this he, was also the same interview where he said that he basically wanted their upcoming third album to be considered in the same league as OK Computer and The Smiths, The Queen is Dead. Now, we'll get into high this. High bar, high bar. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit later, but again, you know, it's a very interesting comment to say that people have resonated with our music for the right reasons. Uh, I, I'm just going to leave that there. We're going to explore that. I think that kind of statement more, a little more in depth later on in this episode, but as a little foreshadowing, I just think that's a very interesting comment to make uh, on, on the part of Maddie Healy. But anyway, please go ahead because he drops this bomb on Imagine Dragons and the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, a guy named Dan Reynolds, he's not going to take this lying down. 
No, and you know, my you got to feel bad for Dan Reynolds. It was in early 2019. There was just this massive pig pile on Imagine Dragons from from the artistic community. You had Foster the People, which is you know glass houses, etc. Yeah, uh, yeah, Foster the that, People right. really sit this right. one out. Well, Foster the People are taking shots. They took a pot shot. They, they said that they sold Imagine Dragons, whatever songs weren't good enough for their records. Yeah, which is, no, no, sit yeah, down, Foster no, the you, People. You know, all due right. respect, no. <laughs> Don't act like you're better than Imagine Dragons. No, but, but you know, that, I mean, that, that's a camp you really don't want to be in when Foster the People's taking shots at you. So Marilyn Manson said that he likes to put on a Mag and Dragons when someone says something that pisses him off because he it's a punishment. Um, Gary Holt, the uh, guitarist known for his time in Exodus and Slayer, uh, shared an image on Instagram saying, Imagine Dragons suck giant hairy monkey balls. Uh, and he went on a, a lengthy tirade against them. And, and then uh, Corey Taylor from Slipknot really is kind of the, uh, the main instigator here. He, um, he basically said that Imagine Dragons has taken the, the world's most terrible band, Baton, from Nickelback. He said that, that Nickelback has passed the Baton. Uh, Imagine Dragons are awful, so that's cool. See, again, Uh, with the Nickelback, you know, we talked about Nickelback being the band that was easy for everyone to make fun of. And now the guy from Slipknot is confirming that by taking, you know, he's he's referencing Nickelback and he's taking a shot at Imagine Dragons. So all these people, some of them are are relevant. Some of them are not relevant. I mean, the Exodus guy, please. Okay. Foster the people. Get get out of here. Um I mean, really, it's the Maddie Healy thing. I think that really matters because he's a, he, he's like in a he's in a buzzy band. They're in kind of a similar lane, and I, it feels like maybe that that's the thing that pushed Reynolds over the top. It's like okay, now the 1975 guy's taking shots at me. Right. So he goes on Twitter. He he has the, he just vents his spleen in this very lengthy uh, statement, uh, saying for decades I've dealt with critics and other bands saying extremely harsh things about my band, not what I would call fair criticism, but actual clickbait horseshit. Words filled with vile and hate meant to feed humanity's need to laugh at each other's imperfections and fails. I think that's his typo, not mine. Uh, I've stood silently and taken it for years. It has added to the depression I've dealt with since youth. Oh, he's, oh that's, he's playing the depression card. That's sad. Uh, I don't say this in search of sympathy, but it's just a fact. It's not the person that causes me the feelings of stress and depression, but what it does to the world we as a band have created. He's saying, I've got over the guys in other bands, 1975, Foster the People, Smashing Pumpkins, Slipknot, etc., feeling a need to talk badly about my band for whatever reason. I don't feel angered towards them, actually, just more of a sadness that this industry embraces, even celebrates this mentality. I think we my can stop there. Are, I think yeah, we can yeah. stop there. It's, it's a long statement. <laughs> you, we get, get, we, you get the point. We, right. we get the idea. He's upset, which, you know, on some level I understand because if someone is ripping you and then you have and then you feel like you're being ganged up on it's not a great feeling. yeah it's sad no and, absolutely. you know and i and i wonder you know did maddie healy immediately apologize after this or did he proceed to take another shot at dan reynolds after that uh he he was asked about it the, the, he, the statement came out in like february i think 2019 it was over the summer he was asked about an interview with a uh, chicago radio station and he basically said you know you you can't expect to do what you do and be void of criticism. I think that's a direct quote. Yeah, yeah. I, I, oh, I'm. 
what did he say? You're in a millionaire. You're a millionaire in a huge band. You don't go, oh, I'm going to do this and also be void of criticism. But he says his point really wasn't whether or not the Imagine Dragons are good. He says he doesn't care. But he his main point that he says is that if you're that big, you should use your platform to say something with substance to make a difference, to try to put forth a change in the world, a positive change. So he says that was really his point, was that they were singing radioactive, whoa, 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 and not something that, uh, you know, not imagine. Not, or, you know, not love it if we made it, you know, which is basically right. just like a series of <laughs> statements uh, that are pulled <laughs> off of social media, you know. The, the thing from that interview that he did with the Chicago radio station that is irritating to me uh, is that he talked about how, and this is going to be something that we, we, we talk about later in this episode, but, like, the thing that is irritating about this argument that, like, you know, Imagine Dragons, their music doesn't mean anything, and when people listen to my music in the 1975, that they're getting the right message from it. You know, whatever you want to say about these bands, you know, you, if, if you want to listen to Imagine Dragons and say, this sucks, I don't like this music, you know, that's your right to say that, but the thing about Imagine Dragons and Dan Reynolds specifically is that he actually has been involved in like tangible activism in his career. Oh, a huge and amount of activism. He made, you know, it, Imagine Dragons, they come from the Mormon community. And uh, Reynolds has been very reflexive about how that community has, has treated gays and lesbians. And he made a documentary about it called Believer, which was about gay conversion therapy, which is like one of the worst things that you can do to a young person who is struggling with their sexual identity. And he also started the Love Loud Festival, which is uh, this music festival that I believe raises money for LGBTQ uh, programs. Um, and this, uh, I don't know if you heard that interview, the Chicago radio interview that Maddie Healy did, but at one point the DJ brings this up uh, and... And Healy says, you know, that's great that he's using his platform for this. And then the DJ says, well, it's probably because of you, because you criticized him for this. And then Healy says, oh, yeah, well, then that's great. <laughs> Which is like <laughs> total BS. He was doing yeah. it before that, you know. And it just goes to show, like, you just wonder, like, what. Like, if he would have heard that interview, like, how would Dan Reynolds have reacted to that? You know, be like, I'm out here. You might think my band sucks, but I am trying to use my platform for good. And yet this dude from the 1975 is getting credit for this good work that I'm trying to do. It's like, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he. I think he did later on in the interview say, you know, I saw him on the Billboard Music Awards give a speech about uh, talking about conversion therapy and and how it needs to stop and and he and he praised him for it. But yeah, I mean, he he was a little smug about it. And yeah, but then, but then the DJ, like, but then the DJ said, like, he, yeah, Healy praises him for it. But then the DJ says, um, well, it's probably because of you that he did that. <laughs> and then and Healy just kind of lets it go. And you know, look. He's on. A, he's in a radio interview. He probably doesn't know all the context. I'm sure that if maybe he did, he would have had a different reaction. But that's just something that really irritated me when I heard about that, and then I saw the interview. You know, I said this earlier, where I was talking about you know how I really loved the 1975, and I still love that band. I think they make good music. But that was something that really kind of like made me like them a little less, and actually, on the flip side, made me appreciate Imagine Dragons a little bit more, even though I may not care for their music. It was like, well, they're trying to, they're actually doing something tangible here. They're actually doing something real 
not just making a record, they're actually trying to help people using their platform. Trying to help people using their platform. I mean, and like what you said about Dan Reynolds coming from the Mormon community, did two years of, of missionary work in, I believe it was Nebraska. I mean, really was out there talking to people. And a lot of his music, I mean, you may not like the music, but I mean, it's him grappling with his feelings, his feelings of depression, his feelings with, you know, his feelings about the Mormon community in general, as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, it, th- there is substance to it. You may not like how it comes across, but you're right. Now, when we talk about this this rivalry, you know, we have, you know, Maddie Healy taking shots at Imagine Dragons saying, your music doesn't mean anything. Dan Reynolds saying, hey, bro, I'm just trying to be good. Everyone's taking shots at me. This is hurting my feelings. When you dig down deep beneath all that trash talking, to me, what this is really about, it's about credibility, you know, and and how credibility ends up getting projected onto certain artists and not projected onto other artists. And, you know, we've had fun with this in this episode, you know, taking shots at Imagine Dragons, but there is a certain safety in making fun of a band like Imagine Dragons. Like, you know, if you were to make a joke about the Beatles and say, you know, the Beatles are lame, the Beatles aren't cool, you would have to defend that position. You know, there would be a lot of people who, if they heard you say that, they would get upset. Or if you said, I think Beyonce makes terrible music. I don't think Beyonce is very beautiful. You know, if I said these sorts of things, and by the way, I do not want these comments isolated out of context uh, in this podcast. <laughs> I do not, I'm just using that as an example of, a, of an offensive opinion that I don't happen to it's have. Like, I'm you're going to have to change your address. You're just as like, you're... <laughs> the Bayhive has already started right. stalking me. Uh, my point is that if you make that kind of statement about Beyonce, you're mocking Beyonce or you're mocking the Beatles or any kind of beloved artist like that, that you have to be prepared to take a lot of heat. You have to be prepared to defend that position. Whereas a band like Imagine Dragons, you can take a shot at them without even knowing anything about them, anything about their records, anything about like what the lead singer does in his background for charity work. And you can do that and not be challenged. And, uh, there's something really unfair about that, especially when you have a situation like this where the 1975, in a way, were that kind of band for a few years, and then they made the transition into sort of this, you know, area of critically acclaimed music or, you know, tastemaker-approved music where they don't have that anymore. They don't have that sort of negative patina around them. And it allows them then to take a shot at a band that does as a way to kind of bolster their own reputation. And, you know, it almost seems like 1975 succeeded despite themselves, too. Because, I mean, like you said, the SNL performance, even, you know, the I Like It When You Sleep album title, all these things are kind of objectively obnoxious. And also, <laughs> and I say this without, and I say this without judgment, Maddie Healy's parents are both relatively successful actors in the UK. So he had a... a I'm not going to say an open door into the industry. As you said, they they tried many different incarnations before they were successful. But I mean, he, he had maybe a slightly easier route than your average British school kid. And that usually, I would assume, would be the kiss of death for any kind of, you know, rock band looking for credibility is having like, I think his his mom was on the uh, the basically the UK equivalent of The View called Loose Women. And, you know, if you really want to view 
having credibility as a rock and roll artist as have coming from, you know, struggle from being a trucker from Tupelo or whatever, you know, you couldn't get much further away than where he came from. But yeah, it seems like despite all that, he's well-dressed, handsome, dating the supermodel, whatever, we kind of buy into that. It's almost like a fake it till you make it thing that well, he just kind of looked the part. Yeah, and it, it's fascinating here, too, because I feel like in the past when you had these sort of credibility battles, it was because, like, one band was maybe, like, the slick pop band. You know, it was a bunch of handsome guys and, like, suits. Or, you know, they were working with big pop stars and they were having big mainstream hits. Whereas the other band would be, like, the more underground, gritty, loud, kind of more traditional rock band. And that would be how the contrast was set up. It's like, you're not real because you're not wearing blue jeans and, you know, smoking cigarettes and writing songs about, you know, smashing cars into brick walls like we are over here, the real rockers. You don't have that contrast in this rivalry. They're both big pop groups that freely mix genres. And you could say that they're both kind of operating in the same lane. You know, it's not as if the 1975 is this like gritty band. They're not the second coming of the Stooges or anything. You know, they're, 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 they're <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not MC5. No, they have a lot. You know, it's, it's a very similar sonic palette to what Imagine Dragons is doing. Maybe the difference here is the context that you hear the music in. You know, Imagine Dragons um, is a football ad. They're a football ad. They're, you know, they're in like, you know, you could hear radioactive. I'm sure that was like in at least one trailer for like a Fast and Furious movie, you know, or one trailer for like a Rambo <laughs> movie or something. Um, whereas the 1975, you know, it, it's in maybe more of like a hip, kind of more curated type environment. It's it, it it's the kind of environment that, frankly, like people you and I are probably more familiar with. You know, it's like I feel like Imagine Dragons is probably way more popular in a lot of ways than the 1975 is, and yet if you are in like a media world or you're like in maybe an indie rock world, the 1975 seem like they're a more prominent band and you may not even know about Imagine Dragons. Exactly. I think you actually, I think you might've actually said this in, I think it was your Grantland piece where they exist in two very different spheres. The 1975 just feels like internet music to me. Whereas Imagine Dragons feel like radio and, and, and physical copies and stuff. And, and there's not a lot of overlap in a lot of ways. And I don't mean that as a euphemism for coastal versus heartland or millennials versus boomers or anything like that. It just seems like two very different audiences. And well, let me ask you a question. And I don't know the answer to this. this is, I, what does it mean to you to be a credible musician in 2020? I don't know. I mean, I feel like the goalposts on that have shifted so much. I think that there was a time yeah. when being a credible musician meant that you weren't on a major label, that you weren't making commercially, you know, viable music, more of like a 90s alternative rock type credibility. Whereas now I feel like that's almost flipped where your credibility comes from connecting with an audience and it comes from being popular. You know, I'm not defending that as like a as a rubric for what credibility should be. But I, I mean, I, I feel like I see more music dismissed because it's not popular than I ever did when I was younger. I feel like that, like when I was a kid, it was like, if this thing isn't popular, that actually means that it's good, that anything that is popular, it has to be bad. 
you know, to be able to reach a big audience. Um, that's interesting. You think that's flipped? You think that that's now more, if it's popular, means it is good? That, I guess that's interesting. Maybe even because of social media or anything, you're, it's the same thing if it's easier to criticize somebody like Imagine Dragons because you don't have to back it up. It's just as easy to say, oh, I like this band because everyone on every website that I like. and I mean, every- I, think, I, think it's di- I think it's different for big rock bands in a way that it isn't for pop stars. I think that with a band like Imagine Dragons, I don't think they necessarily benefit from being a big band in terms of credibility in the same way that, you know, uh, someone like Ariana Grande benefits from being such a ubiquitous force and culture. Mm. Um, there's something kind of corny, I think, always about mainstream rock bands. I think that's always been true, you know, going back to the 70s with Grand Funk Railroad and into the 80s with Journey and Bon Jovi, you know, like the the band that's always like the really popular rock band uh, is always looked at as being kind of lame, I think. And Imagine Dragons, in that respect, is very much sort of a classic mainstream rock band. All right, hang on. We'll be right back with more Rivals. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. 
Okay, so we have Imagine Dragons in 1975. They're squaring off here. Let's make the pro-Imagine Dragons argument first. What would you say, like, if you were to side with them, like, what do you think makes them come ahead in this rivalry? I mean, I think the obvious answer has just got to be just sheer commercial success. I mean, they have broken records. I think that Radioactive broke the record for spending, I think it was 87 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100, broke a billion streams on YouTube. Uh, God, I mean, they. I think it's the best-selling rock single in Nielsen SoundScan history, it, at least digital. Uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, they were the first act to have three songs spend at least a year on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just it, there's a million of those stats for them that you could rattle off. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And it's funny. It's just you don't think of them as being that huge. But when you actually look at the numbers, they are. They're enormous, and they're enormous in a way that very few rock bands are, that they can compete on a level that, you know, they can coexist with any big pop star, really, for the most part, uh, in terms of just their sheer numbers. And I think also that speaks to the influence that they've had on music in the last decade or so, that because of the way that they've been able to integrate rock into other genres and use that as a pathway to pop success, I mean, really... Pretty much any successful rock band, whether it's you know Fall Out Boy or Panic at the Disco or Twenty One Pilots or whoever the whoever it may be, you know they followed that same template to success. You know they're not playing straight guitar songs. You know they're they're playing songs that if you didn't know any better, you know they it, it could sound like a hip hop song or it could sound like a pop song or an R and B song. Uh, so yeah, I mean I think you're right that just their sheer success is undeniable in a way, even if you hate the music. I mean, you can't deny the way that they've connected with a huge audience. I'm not going to moan about, you know, oh, the formula, the formula, because there have been, you know, people have been talking about the formula in, in pop music since, you know, the Beach Boys in the 60s and even further back. But there is something, and I said this earlier, that feels maybe just as, maybe this is just me, disingenuous about how it's all blended in there. It seems to be such a mishmash to almost game the playlist system just to kind of have a lot, something for everybody so that it's completely, uh, I think I read somewhere lowest common denominator rock. And I know that's kind of an easy, lazy term, but it, it does feel so, uh, so watered down and so just general that there, and there, there is no, sound that it has is just a little bit of everything that it does feel kind of uh opportunistic i mean but the flip side of that is they have an identifiable sound well, i was like gonna you say hear a song yeah, which, is, which is rare today we're, we're defending imagine dragons right now we gotta we gotta make the pro case you're, you're going into the negative case here you're right about, i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> it's like as music critics we can't say nice things about Imagine Dragons for too long without going into the negative. It's just like against our nature, I think, to be too nice to this band. I will say, because I think everything you said is right. I would agree with everything you just said. But since we're still defending them, I would I would also say that for me, the, another pro case for Imagine Dragons is the fact that Dan Reynolds has been genuinely active as an activist. And that, you know, for Maddie Healy to accuse him of you know, propagating nothingness. You know, I, I haven't seen him attempt anything on the scale of the Love Loud Festival. I haven't seen him make 
a documentary about gay conversion therapy. You know, even if you hate the music, you know, they have put their money where their mouth is in that regard. And I think that is uh, to be lauded. Now, for the pro-1975 case, I have a feeling that this is going to be much shorter than our pro <laughs> Imagine Dragons case because, you know, we were making all these concessions about, you know, things that we think are admirable or that you can't really argue against with the Imagine Dragons. But, you know, again, we're kind of beating around the bush here that I think for both of us, we're not really fans of their music. And ultimately, the pro case for the 1975 is that I think they make better records. You know, there are more oh, songs by the 1975 that I think are good. And if you're just going to make it purely about artistic quality, you know, I think 1975 trounces Imagine Dragons, even though, again, I do think, to go back to what we were saying before, that these bands are more similar than they are dissimilar. I think if you're going to trash Imagine Dragons for being a band that is sort of mixing everything together and, and trying to appeal to everyone at once, the 1975 are doing the same thing. You know, they are very adept at reaching a wide variety of people that might not actually listen to all that much rock music, but they connect with the 1975 because they think of them more as a pop band. Um, so for me, ultimately, it all comes down to execution. You know, even mm -hmm. if they're working in the same lane, I still like the way the, the 1975 executes this sort of pop rock music more than the Imagine Dragons style, which... You know, I think the 1975, to their credit, for as bombastic and silly as they can be, there is still more nuance and maybe, I don't know if craft is the right word, but they're not beating you over the head as sort of redundantly the way that Imagine Dragons does. You know, they're not saying radioactive a million times in the course of four minutes. There are other lyrics in their songs, and some of their lyrics are actually quite clever. And I don't know if you could say that about Imagine Dragons songs. So uh, as much as I admire Dan Reynolds for his activist work, and, uh, you know, and again, you can't take away their success, just on pure tunes, i got to go with the 1975. I agree. And, you know, it's funny because they are equally, as you said, stylistically diverse. It's almost like the 1975, instead of... With Imagine Dragons, it's every song, there's 12 different genres. With 1975, it almost feels like every album has 12 different genres and every song is kind of a different playing musical dress-up in a way, which is is interesting. And I know and I that some people have criticized them for that. But something that's interesting, and I think Maddie Healy actually said something about this too, where they're making music the way that people their age are consuming it. On Spotify, every kind of genre of music is available just at their fingertips. And so people who are fans can hop around and have a much more diverse interest in, in music. And it's not just one genre anymore. And they said that they're basically making music in the same way that they consume it, which is all over the place. And that's, I thought that was a really refreshing take on it and a really honest take and something that I hadn't really considered until I read that, which it made me appreciate their music more thinking, okay, this isn't just somebody who doesn't know who they are and they're trying on stuff to see you know, what looks best and what works. It's actually people who, who you know, are, are fans of music and like music and are uh, just going with, with their gut in any given moment. You know, I mean, I know that sounds trite, but... But it also sounds profound, just like the 1975. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you just said, it, it it's a good way to kind of bring us into 
the conclusion of this discussion because at the end of every episode, you know, we'd like there to be a moment of peace. You know, we want to bring these groups back together. We want to bring these rivals back to the same table so that maybe they can see eye to eye. And, you know, I think we've reiterated a couple times in this discussion that with both of these groups, you know, whatever they may think about each other's music or whatever you might think about, about either band, there is a sort of shared sensibility in a way of approaching rock music and pop music in this era, which is that you don't have to stick to one genre. You don't have to just make the sort of cookie cutter rock song that we associate with like classic rock of the past, that rock music can evolve and it can in you know integrate with other genres and it can still connect with a large number of people, even if it doesn't sound maybe like the rock music that your parents listen to. It's still something that means a lot to all sorts of people. And, you know, Maddie Healy, for for his audience with the 1975, he feels that they're resonating for the right reasons when they listen to 1975. I'm sure Dan Reynolds would say the same thing about Imagine Dragons, that even if they have, you know, I think it's safe to say they have millions more listeners than the 1975 do at this point. Um, but, you know, he, he I'm sure he feels that he's putting out something positive as well, that he wants to make the culture better uh, with, with, with this music. So, you know, I think both of these guys, both of these bands ultimately have their hearts in the right place. And I think in their own ways, they're they're progressive musically, you know, whether you like them or not. Right. I mean, and both artists, when they say that, they're basically just saying our fans are the best fans, which is, you know, <laughs> always, yeah. I mean, that's what it boils down to. That's what they're saying. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's nice. You know, and uh, good on exactly. you, Dan Reynolds. They think their fans are the best. The Imagine Dragons think Imagine Dragons fans are the best. 1975 thinks 1975 fans are the best. But the best fans are the fans of Rivals. <laughs> Rivals fans are the best. Jordan, it's always a pleasure talking with you. It's always a pleasure talking to our fans out there. And uh, I'm excited to do it again next week. Steven, can't wait. Thank you. Take care. Rivals is a production of iHeartRadio. The executive producers are Sean Titone and Noel Brown. The supervising producers are Taylor Shacoin and Tristan McNeil. I'm Jordan Runtalk. And I'm Stephen Hyden. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Everyone in our country has a voice. It's something that says not just where you come from, but who you are. Welcome to NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of podcasts and a celebration of the hosts in journalism who've always spoken truth to power. Our voices are as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, and stories should never be about us without us. Find NPR Black Stories, Black Truths on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, what's good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.